Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Gary Parker. Today, we have episode 351 for November 20th, 2023. Uh, just around the corner is Thanksgiving. I realize that not everybody on the planet celebrates that, mostly U.S. and Canada. I know there's some unofficial celebrations other places around the world, but it's that you know time of year, I think, as the holidays approach when we need to be thinking about giving thanks and thinking about others. And uh, I guess the shopping season is also here. So today we're going to be talking about my best and worst gift recommendations. So lots of stuff having to do with the holidays today, kind of officially kicking those off. Man, I'm telling you what, though, right after Halloween here in the U.S., November 1st, I'm in a store, my grocery store, and they're playing Christmas music in the background. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, some, I love the holidays, but man, you know, you, you got to take it in stride. Like to me, you don't start Christmas until Thanksgiving is over. You, you, you just don't. Okay. Anyway, I'll get off my little, get off my little soapbox. Today we have a news show for you, but real quick before I get to that, make sure you stick around for, uh, after the news, I got a couple, uh, notes in the outro, uh, to tell you about some updates to the merch store just in time for the holidays. And as I mentioned, I've got kind of a special shout out first for a way to say thanks to the folks out there who are doing some really great work for us. And finally, I'll have a couple of hints about a new promotion I'll be running in December. So stay tuned for all that after the news. I'm going to keep the news a little bit shorter this week because we've got a lot to cover in the best and worst gift guide. So um, we're going to first look at a Hacker News article about how the FCC is stepping in and trying to make it harder for bad guys to sim jack your phone. I'm going to tell you about a children's Android tablet that somebody from the EFF who happened to be a security researcher, uh, it was given to her daughter and she did some investigating on it and found some pretty disturbing things. Bleepy Computer has an article about a medical transcription provider who says that a cyber attack has exposed the data of nearly 9 million patients. There's an eight news now article out of Las Vegas uh, I didn't see this elsewhere, so I went ahead and went with the local news on this about how local plastic surgeons were hacked and the bad guys were ransoming the information, including some nude photos of the patients online. Ars Technica has a, has a disturbing update on the staggering amount of data and sensitive information collected by Kochava that was unsealed in a recent FTC filing. A quick note about Bitwarden, they have finally have released the first phase of their passkey management solution. And then I want to read an article from the EFF about something going down in the EU right now, which has been very secretive and very disturbing, something called Article 45, and how it, <laughs> it could be undermining web security in a really horrific way. And then we'll finish things off with a rather lengthy discussion of some of my best and worst gift ideas for 2023. So let's get right to it. All right, first up, this is from Hacker News. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC, is adopting new rules that aim to protect consumers from cell phone account scams that make it possible for malicious actors to orchestrate SIM swapping attacks and port out fraud. And this is a quote from the FCC, quote, The rules will help protect consumers from scammers who target data and personal information by covertly swapping SIM cards to a new device or porting phone numbers to a new carrier without ever gaining physical control of a consumer's phone. Unquote. While SIM swapping refers to transferring a user's account to a SIM card controlled by the scammer, port out fraud occurs when a bad actor posing as the victim transfers their phone number from one service provider to another without their knowledge. 
The new rules, first proposed in July of 2023, mandate wireless providers to adopt secure methods of authenticating a customer before redirecting a customer's phone number to a new device or provider. Another requirement ensures that customers are immediately notified whenever a SIM change or port-out request is made on their accounts so they could take appropriate action to secure against such attacks. SIM swapping has emerged as a serious threat, enabling threat actors like Lapsus and Scattered Spider, these are names of rather infamous hacker groups, to infiltrate corporate networks. Migrating the service to an actor-controlled device gives the attackers the ability to divert SMS-based two-factor authentication codes and take over victims' online accounts. Another quote from the FCC, quote, because we so frequently use our phone numbers for two-factor authentication, a bad actor who takes control of a phone can also take control of financial accounts, social media accounts, and the list goes on. Consumers must be able to count on a secure verification procedure and reliable privacy guarantees from their wireless providers, and they should be able to go about their day without fearing that someone somewhere might take control of their phone without a single warning sign, unquote. So yeah, this is all about what we've called SIM swapping or SIM jacking. And, and this is the real downside to SMS-based two-factor authentication. Again, it's way better than nothing. It's still a second layer of defense for getting into your accounts. If that is the only thing offered by this particular online account to protect your, your account, then you should definitely take this. However, you should st steer clear of this where possible. If you can use something like Authy or Google Authenticator, you know, an authentication app that has a rolling one-time pin code, that changes every 30 seconds or so, that is by far the, the, the best way to go for two-factor authentication. But a lot of places still require that you use SMS or text messages uh, so that they text you the pin code that you need to enter. And if you successfully SIM swap somebody or port their phone number to another account, then you basically control that person's cellular account. And now the, the, the text codes that were meant for you are gonna go to them. At the very least, they're gonna be copied to them. Sometimes they'll go to them and not to you at all. So anyway, it's good that the FCC is, you know, stepping in and requiring cellular providers to do a, a lot more due diligence before allowing you know, just anybody to come in and do this. Now, this might mean that it's more difficult for you to do this for yourself, like when you actually want to do this, like you lost your phone or, or you want to port to a new provider. But, you know, these are the inconveniences that we need to be okay with because in the end, they're protecting our accounts and it's, it's, it's a good security measure. Security and convenience are usually at odds. All right, this is from TechCrunch, and this is kind of a cautionary tale about buying cheap Internet of Things type devices for your kids, certainly, but really for, a, for anybody. So it's just a cautionary tale. So let me read this article from TechCrunch. In May this year, Alexis Hancock's daughter got a children's tablet for her birthday. Being a security researcher, Hancock was immediately worried. And this is a quote from Hancock, quote, I looked at it kind of sideways because I've never heard of Dragon Touch, unquote referring to the tablet's maker. As it turned out, Hancock, who works at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, had good reasons to be concerned. Hancock said she found the tablet had a slew of security and privacy issues that could have put her daughter's and other children's data at risk. The Dragon Touch Kids Pad Y88X contains traces of well-known malware, runs a version of Android that was released five years ago, and comes preloaded with other software that's considered malware and a quote-unquote potentially unwanted program. Because of its, quote, history and extensive system-level permissions to download whatever application it wants, unquote, and includes an outdated version of an app store designed specifically for kids, according to Hancock's report, which was released on Thursday and seen by TechCrunch ahead of its publication. 
Hancock said she reached out to Dragon Touch to report these issues, but the company never responded. Dragon Touch did not respond to TechCrunch's questions either. The first worrying thing Hancock said she found on the tablet were traces of the presence of Core Java, which in January, cybersecurity firm Malwarebytes analyzed and concluded was malicious. Also this year, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and independent security researchers discovered the same type of malware embedded in the software of cheap Android-powered TVs. The good news, Hancock said, is that at least the malware seemed inactive and was programmed to send data to dormant servers. According to Hancock's technical report, the tablet also came preloaded with add-ups, the same software found in those Android TVs, which was used to do, quote, firmware over the air, unquote, updates. Malwarebytes had classified add-ups as malware and a potentially unwanted program for its ability to automatically download and install new software from the internet. Finally, the tablet came with a pre-installed and outdated version of KidOz app, K-I-D-O-Z, which serves as an app store that allows parents to set parental controls and kids to download games and apps. The app store, quote, collects and sends data to kiddos.net on usage and physical attributes of the device. This includes information like device model, brand, country, time zone, screen size, view events, click events, log time of events, and a unique kid ID, unquote, according to Hancock's report. Children's internet-connected products have long been the target for hackers. In 2015, a hacker broke into the servers of VTech, a consumer electronics company that made gadgets for children. The hack resulted in the theft of personal information of almost 5 million parents, including names, email addresses, passwords, and home addresses, and the personal data of more than 200,000 kids, including names, genders, and birthdays. The hackers also obtained thousands of pictures of parents and kids and a year's worth of chat logs. After finishing her research, Hancock said she had to keep the tablet because her daughter got attached to it during a trip with her cousins. But Hancock didn't return the tablet to her daughter until making changes to protect her daughter's privacy. There's another quote from Hancock, quote, I have talked to her about why I had her tablet and why I had it for so long away from her. I told her that it was sick, it had a virus, and I had to make it better and I had to take it to the doctor, unquote. In practice, Hancock said that she, quote, nuked everything, unquote, that she could. First, Hancock said she installed a VPN profile on the tablet on a private server that runs Piehole, an ad-blocking software. Then she limited the number of apps her daughter could use, redirected the DNS, the internet system that connects IP addresses to domain names, for any problematic domains, and even installed Tor, a browser that is designed to protect the anonymity of its user. Hancock, however, said parents shouldn't need to do all this to protect their children's privacy, especially because not everyone has the technical chops or the time to research their kids' tablet cybersecurity and privacy issues. And a final quote from Hancock, she says, quote, Parents really can't do too much, and honestly, it shouldn't be left up to them, unquote. So yeah, so this is going to go part and parcel with some of my uh, best and worst gift guide recommendations when we get to those at the end of the show. And part of the reason I want to include this article on today's show you, you really just need to avoid cheap, no-name electronics, especially ones that connect to the internet, especially when you're giving them to children. But it really extends beyond that. And again, I'll, I will return to that soapbox when we get to the gift guide. All right, next up, this is from Bleepy Computer, and this is the first of a couple of very disturbing articles. So, so first up, uh, this is about a medical transcription service that was hacked. PJ&A, or Perry Johnson and Associates, is warning that a cyber attack in March of 2023 exposed the personal information of almost 9 million patients. 
PJNA provides medical transcription services to healthcare organizations in the United States. The company said the threat actors breached their network and had access between March 27th and May 2nd of 2023. Its investigation revealed that the following information had been exposed to the threat actors. Full name, date of birth, medical record number, hospital account number, admission diagnosis, date and time of service, social security numbers, insurance information, medical transcription files, lab and diagnostic test results, medical details, treatment facility and healthcare provider names. PJNA began sending notices of a data breach on October 31st, 2023, to alert impacted individuals that their sensitive healthcare information had been compromised. The data exposed for each person varies depending on what information they provided to the healthcare services and the type of treatment they received. The information accessed by the unauthorized party does not include financial information or account credentials. The exact number of the people affected by this cyber incident had remained unknown until PJNA submitted the relevant information to the breach portal of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, which now confirms the number to be a big number, almost 9 million patients. Previously, Chicago's largest health care provider, Cook County Health, notified 1.2 million patients that their medical records had been breached in a PJNA accident, announcing that it would terminate its relationship with the vendor as a result. Yesterday, Northwell Health, New York's largest healthcare provider, announced it suffered an indirect data breach resulting from the PJNA network compromise. The notification states that Northwell data was stolen between April 7th and 19th. The number of impacted individuals who received care in North, uh, Northwell Health's clinics and had their sensitive information exposed in this incident surpasses 3.8 million. This means another 4 million people whose medical data was exposed through other healthcare providers have not been notified yet. Bleeding Computer has contacted PGNA with further questions about the attack, but comment was not immediately available. Think about this for a minute. This is a medical transcription service. So this is like the second tier thing. This is not your doctor. This is not the hospital you went to see. This is somebody that they contracted to take, you know, doctor notes, like when the doctor's talking on that little recording device or whatever, uh, and then send this off to these services who have people who take that and no medical jargon and listen to this and then transcribe that into notes. I'm sure they do other things too, but that's, that's basically what this, what this service is about. And so this, these third parties who have contracted with hospitals and doctors to support their services have all these transcripts and all this information about these patients and they were hacked. This is not something you chose. This is nothing you can do anything about, but this could be some extremely personal information. So I hope you were not affected by this. Some of you may have been affected and still not know it yet. I'm surprised it took them this long to notify, but they probably did this because they were had to, because there are now laws that require disclosure for things like this. So maybe this is something that AI will eventually help with. If, you know, if these doctors actually have automated computer systems that can keep on site that will be able to do this sort of transcription without having to send it off to a third party, you know, maybe that will make things better. But the bottom line here is we probably need even stronger regulations. I'm sure there are some regulations, you know, with HIPAA and things like that. There are around medical data. There, there probably are some regulations around this. But, you know, were these records encrypted? How were they encrypted? Who had access to the keys? These are things we don't know yet, but obviously it wasn't good enough because somebody got in. All right, next up, this is from a, a local Las Vegas uh, news channel called 8 News Now. And this is also a very disturbing hacking story. And by the way, this is a pretty long article. It's filled with lots of quotes from uh, some of the people who were affected by this. I kind of trimmed all that out and tried to stick to the facts. Uh, but if you're interested, uh, definitely look in the show notes to, to look through this article for more details. 
The FBI is investigating how cyber criminals obtained medical records and naked patient photos from a Las Vegas plastic surgery office, posting them online for ransom. The 8 News Now investigators have learned. The stolen information included sensitive personal information, such as names and social security numbers, and nude photos of patients taken before and after surgery, several patients and court documents said. Many of the photos, which showed breasts and other sensitive areas, contained patients' faces. About a dozen women who filed a lawsuit against the office, uh, Hankins and Sohn Plastic Surgery Associates, claiming the office did not do enough to protect their private and personal information. In February, cybercriminals obtained access to the office's network, downloading patient information and posting it online, a lawsuit and a letter to the patient said. The hackers then posted the photos along with full names, addresses, emails, and other private personal information, including medical records. None of the documents posted online are encrypted. It was unclear how Hankins and Sohn was storing their data per HIPAA rules. A spokesman for the office that oversees HIPAA-related investigations declined to comment. The hackers not only stole the information, but in some cases sent it, along with nude photos, to family and friends through patients' email accounts. On October 17th, as the 8 News Now investigators gathered interviews and documents for this story, the FBI issued an alert titled, quote, Cyber criminals are targeting plastic surgery offices and patients, unquote. The public service announcement explains how hackers are obtaining the information through social engineering and then extorting businesses for profit. The women, and this is referring to several women that uh, were um, interviewed for this story, said the FBI were able to shut down the website once, though the Bureau would not confirm that. Last month, a new website came online saying the surgeons were ignoring them and they planned to add more patient information and photos. A consent form for medical photography from Hankin and Sohn, the 8 News Now investigators obtained, shows the women granted access to their photos for medical and research purposes, but all the women said they were told their faces would not be in the photos. Their faces and photos were also connected to their names and other information on the website. And this is a quote from the attorney for this place. Quote, Hankins and Sohn plastic surgery is devastated by the data breach which occurred at the hands of third-party criminal actors. Both our patients and our practice are suffering due to this intentional criminal activity. We continue to work with the FBI and other agencies to protect patient information and also to bring these bad actors to justice, unquote. And the person who gave that quote declined to answer questions about past and current encryption practices or about paying possible ransom, citing the ongoing lawsuits. Okay, so (laughs) there's a few things we could probably take away from this thing. First of all, again, medical data is extremely sensitive data, and it's not like money or possessions or things that if you lose, you can replace. I mean, this is private information. These are nude photos. When these things get out, they are forever. Uh, You can't purge people's memories. So we've got to do a much, much better job with protecting this kind of sensitive information. Was this stuff properly encrypted? Who had access to it, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the same questions I was just asking about the previous article. But here's something else I want you to take away from this. And that is, you really need to give away as little information about yourself as possible. Breaches are happening all the time and, they, and they're happening more and more frequently, it seems. The bad guys are, are figuring out who are the most vulnerable, which data is the most sensitive, and which data, therefore, is the most valuable to ransom. And obviously, naked pictures of your patients is probably worth a pretty penny for ransom. So what can you do about this? Well, a couple things I want to throw out. First of all, and I think I've said this recently on the show before, be really careful uh, with who you give your medical information to. And for example, 
almost all the doctors I visit now, whenever I sign up for an appointment, I get text messages confirming my appointment. I get emails confirming my appointment. And, you know, click here to, to verify that you're going to be here at this day and time. Uh, and then invariably it follows up with, great, we'll see you on this day. Click here to check in ahead of time. And what this is, is some third party that they have contracted with to collect all my medical stuff. Like it usually runs through my whole medical history, all the drugs I'm currently taking, you know, really detailed information about me. This is the kind of stuff they usually ask you when you go to the doctor's office, but I guess they're trying to save time. These <laughs> third parties are offering this as a service. You know, why waste the first 10 minutes of every of every appointment, you know, with this kind of stuff, we could just ask this stuff ahead of time and, and it's, it'll be ready for you when you check in. But this third party information may or may not be covered under HIPAA, which is the US medical privacy law. Or they may somewhere on this form that you're filling out have this little checkbox that, that you check and it may be pre-checked saying you're waiving your HIPAA rights or you're allowing this third party to have this and who knows what else. So that is an example of something that you might take for granted that you shouldn't. Another thing that I want to point out is when you are going to places like this place for plastic surgery or something, kind of a one-time thing. We're going to have something done that you might not want on a record somewhere. Maybe it's a mental health facility or something like that. Once you've completed your treatment, I have not tried this myself, but I would think that you could go to that provider and say, I want a copy of my medical records. And then I would like you to delete them from your servers. So you've got a copy of that if you should ever need it. If you want to give it to another provider later, or even back to them, if you need to revisit them in the future but they don't have it. You now have hopefully the sole copy of this extremely sensitive data and it's not lingering on some server somewhere for who knows how many years. I think unfortunately we're gonna to have to start doing things like that. It's convenient to have all that stuff just kind of exist out there so that if we ever go somewhere else and need a follow up or we need to go to a related provider and say, oh, we'll just go to you know, this other doctor over here and have them send me my, the, the medical records so they can you know, give you the, the history of this. I'm getting to the point where I don't want to do any of that anymore. I'm getting to the point where any doctor I visit outside of my main general practitioner doctor, someone who I'm going to be going to for many years and has lots of data on me where this would not be practical. Uh, but any place where I'm going just for kind of one-off things, especially if it's something that I think might be embarrassing or put, could potentially be embarrassing if it got leaked, get the service, get it done. And then once I'm done, go back to them and say, okay, give me a copy of my records and then please delete them from your servers. I've not tried this yet. I guess I don't, I don't, I don't do a lot of medical procedures, uh, but I'm going to try it next time I get the chance. And I, and I'll be curious to see what they say. I mean, hopefully I've got the right to do that. The question is, is have they already given it to third parties that they can't control and you know, things like that. And now that I think about it, that might be a really interesting interview topic. So I will put that on my list of things for potential future topics. Cause I would, I would really like to dig into that and understand more about how that works. All right, next up, this is from Ars Technica, and it's an update about Kochava, who is busted for selling your location data uh, to just about anybody who would buy it. And this has been an update thanks to an FTC filing that has just become unsealed. One of the world's largest mobile data brokers, Kochava, that's K-O-C-H-A-V-A, has lost its battle to stop the Federal Trade Commission from revealing what the FTC has alleged is a disturbing widespread pattern of unfair use and sale of sensitive data without consent from hundreds of millions of people. U.S. District Judge B. Lynn Windmill recently unsealed a court filing, an amended complaint that perhaps contains the most evidence yet gathered by the FTC in its longstanding mission to crack down on the data brokers allegedly, quote unquote, substantially harming consumers by invading their privacy. 
The FTC has accused Kochava of violating the FTC Act by amassing and disclosing, quote, a staggering amount of sensitive and identifying information about consumers, unquote, alleging that Kochava's database includes products seemingly capable of identifying nearly every person in the United States. According to the FTC, Kochava's customers, ostensibly advertisers, can access this data to trace individuals' movements, including to sensitive locations like hospitals, temporary shelters, and places of worship, with a promised accuracy of, quote-unquote, a few meters over a day, a week, a month, or a year. Kochava's products can also provide a, quote-unquote, 360-degree perspective on individuals, unveiling personally identifiable information like their names, home addresses, home numbers, as well as sensitive information like their race, gender, ethnicity, annual income, political affiliations, or religion, the FTC alleged. Beyond that, the FTC alleged that Kachava also makes it easy for advertisers to target customers by categories that are, quote, often based on specific sensitive and personal characteristics or attributes identified from its massive collection of data about individual consumers, unquote. These audience segments allegedly allow advertisers to conduct invasive targeting by grouping people not just by common data points like age or gender, but by places they visited, political associations, and even their current circumstances like whether they're expectant parents. Or advertisers can allegedly combine data points to target highly specific audience segments like, quote, all the pregnant Muslim women in Kuchaba's database, unquote, the FTC alleged, or, quote, parents with different ages of children, unquote. According to the FTC, Kachava obtains data, quote, from a myriad of sources, including from mobile apps and other data brokers, unquote, which together allegedly connects a web of data that, quote, contains information about consumers' usage of over 275,000 mobile apps, unquote. The FTC alleged that this usage data is also invasive, allowing Kochava customers to track not just what apps a customer uses, but how long they've used the apps, what they do in the apps, and how much money they spent in the apps, the FTC alleged. Kochava, quote, could implement safeguards to protect consumer privacy, such as blacklisting sensitive locations from its data feeds or removing sensitive characteristics from its data at a reasonable cost and expenditure of resources, unquote but deliberately chooses not to, the FTC alleged. Instead, Kuchava, quote, actively promotes its data as a means to evade consumers' privacy choices, unquote. Further, the FTC alleged that there was no real ways for consumers to opt out of Kachava's data marketplace because even resetting their mobile advertising IDs, the data point that's allegedly most commonly used to identify users in its database, won't stop Kachava customers from using its products to determine, quote, other points to connect to and securely solve for their identity, unquote. For these reasons, the FTC is seeking a permanent injunction to stop Kachava from its allegedly unfair use and sale of consumer data. So we've talked about that before, just giving you an update. Apparently, these unsealed documents that Kachava did not want to see the light of day have come out. And uh, it's just further disturbing evidence of what these guys have collected and how rampant data brokers are in this country and what they can get away with. Again, we need privacy legislation. In the meantime, you know, we, we have to rely on government agencies like the FTC to try to kind of come at this from an angle shot and say that these are unfair practices, that they may harm the the consumer. It's kind of a loose authority to do these kind of things. So they're doing what they can. What we really need, though, is effective privacy legislation that has some real teeth. All right, next up, a really quick PSA here from Bitwarden. And this is a little excerpt from a press release they just put out. 
And I had mentioned earlier that Bitwarden was going to have passkey support sometime in October. They slightly missed that mark, but it is apparently the first phase of it anyway is now here. So here's a little snippet from their press release. Passkeys are a secure, safe method to log into websites without a password, bringing together convenience and security. Today, Bitwarden Password Manager users create, manage, and store passkeys in their vault for fast, passwordless logins to passkey-enabled websites. Every Bitwarden Password Manager user, including free users, can manage passkeys in their Bitwarden vault. Creating and utilizing passkeys is accomplished with the, with the Bitwarden web extensions, and that's actually a link. So if you're curious about this and you're a Bitwarden user, absolutely look into this. Uh, you probably actually probably get an email on this from them. Uh, but if not, you can go to the show notes and click on this article, and there's some little tutorials and videos and things that you might be interested in. The passkeys that are created are synchronized passkeys. These passkeys never leave your device during the login process, but are encrypted in your vault, which is securely synced to your other devices. This is both convenient and secure. Additional support and functionality for passkey management in Bitwarden is planned, including for mobile apps. Passkeys are being implemented across the web with each website and passkey provider pioneering new features while working to closely adhere to evolving industry standards. In this exciting phase of passkey adoption, there will certainly be improvements needed as everyone works together to build a world of passwordless authentication. Bitwarden is at the forefront of these works in progress. One example is the development of an open and secure standard for passkey portability. Collaborating with other passkey providers, Bitwarden is working towards a standard that ensures users can effortlessly and securely transfer their passkeys, whether for backup purposes or when changing passkey providers. Believing that everyone should have access to the tools they need to stay safe online, Bitwarden is adding passkey support to all plans, including free, to bring the most complete password manager to all. And soon, users will be able to log into the Bitwarden web app using a passkey. And that will be available to everyone. So yeah, passkeys are coming. Uh, they are better in a lot of ways. As long as we still have passwords as backups, though, that's still going to be a weak link. But this is a key feature that was not worked out before this whole passkey thing kind of uh, went public. I mean, that's been around for a long time. The Fido Alliance has been around a long time. They've been working on this stuff for a long time. Uh, but they really kind of made it more universally available. And they've made it something you could do on your smartphone as opposed to having to carry around those little hardware keys. So it's just kind of coming into its own. But as I mentioned recently on the show, a lot of providers, including Google, Apple, and Microsoft, are kind of trying to get people to get into it right away. And until they come out with this portability thing, what that means is you're going to be kind of locked into their system. And I think, unfortunately, that's why some of them are pushing it so hard. But hopefully, if these standards are adopted, you will eventually be able to switch providers, kind of like you can switch a password manager now. You can just export your passwords from one and import them into another. You want to be able to do your passkeys as well. Uh, now, of course, this does have security risks, and they need to work that part out. So it's good that they're standardizing it. But this really is the way we need to go for the future. So it uh, can't happen soon enough. Uh, it probably it will probably take years, unfortunately. But uh, Bitwarden is a good place to start. So I'm glad that they are finally officially announcing support for uh, passkeys. It looks like it only works currently with their uh, web browser extensions, which is pretty good. But you're going to want it on your mobile phone at some point, too. So uh, we'll be waiting for that support soon. All right, last article for today, and this is from the EFF. And this is a pretty important news story particularly for the European Union, but it really affects uh, everybody globally. So I just picked out some uh, pieces of this. It's a much longer article. If you want more information, I uh, encourage you to read it. Um, but it's about a new regulation that is being proposed called EIDAS 2.0. And it's got a very disturbing 
clause tucked away in part of it that is going to cause a lot of security problems if we don't address this. And they're trying to ram it through. They're having a secret meetings about it. Uh, the voting apparently is going to be secret. In fact, it's so secret. I don't even know what the current status of this is. I was looking to try to find if they had voted for this or not. I can't find anything more recent than a couple of weeks old uh, about the time this was released. So I'm not even really sure what the status is. But uh, it's important that you, that you know about this. And I want to try to explain why it's such a big deal, uh, though EFF does a pretty good job of it here. And I'm, I'm going to read this first. The EU is poised to pass a sweeping new regulation, EIDAS 2.0. Buried deep in the text is Article 45, which returns us to the dark ages of 2011, when certificate authorities, or CAs, could collaborate with governments to spy on encrypted traffic and get away with it. Article 45 forbids browsers from enforcing modern security requirements on certain CAs without the approval of an EU member government. Which CAs? Specifically, the CAs, or certificate authorities, that were appointed by the government, which in some cases will be owned and operated by that self-same government. That means cryptographic keys under one government's control could be used to intercept HTTPS communications throughout the EU and beyond. This is a catastrophe of the privacy of everyone who uses the internet, but particularly for those who use the internet in the EU. Browser makers have not announced their plans yet, but it seems inevitable that they will need to create two versions of their software, one for the EU with security checks removed and another for the rest of the world with security checks intact. We've been down this road before, and they're talking about the crypto wars back in the 90s that led to Phil Zimmerman creating PGP. When export controls on cryptography meant browsers were released in two versions, strong cryptography for US users and weak cryptography for everyone else. It was a fundamentally inequitable situation, and the knock-on effects set back web security for decades. That is very true. The current text of Article 45 requires that browsers trust CAs appointed by governments and prohibits browsers from enforcing any security requirements on those CAs beyond what is approved by Etsy. And that's a, another standards body in the EU. In other words, it sets an upper bar on how much security browsers can require of CAs rather than setting a lower bar. That in turn limits how vigorously browsers can compete with each other on improving security for their users. This upper bar on security may even ban browsers from enforcing certificate transparency. An IETF technical standard that ensures a CA's issuing history can be examined by the public in order to detect malfeasance. Banning certificate transparency enforcement makes it much more likely for government spying to go undetected. Why is this such a big deal? The role of a CEA is to bootstrap encrypted HTTPS communication with websites by issuing certificates. The CEA's core responsibility is to match website names with customers so that the operator of a website can get a valid certificate for that website, but no one else can. If someone else gets a certificate for that website, they can use it to intercept encrypted communications, meaning they can read private information like emails and basically everything. The text isn't final yet, but is subject to approval behind closed doors in Brussels on November 8th. And again, that was like almost two weeks ago, and I can't find any update on what actually happened. But real quick, let me try to explain this in a different way. So when you go to a website and it is locked. It has the lock icon. It's HTTPS, S meaning secure, when that connection is encrypted, which means that nobody between you, your web browser in this case, and the website you're going to, you know, Amazon, your doctor, your bank, 
your government social security site, whatever, you know, any of the computers, the multiple computers that are in the pathway between your computer and their server can not read what you're saying, cannot understand the communications. It's just gibberish. It's all encrypted. What allows that encryption to be set up in the first place are certificates and websites get these certificates that the basically say, this is who I say I am. And this allows me to set up encryption with anybody who wants to talk to me come from these certificate authorities, these CAs. And so CAs have a very important job. They're only supposed to issue these certificates to the websites that actually are who they claim to be. So amazon.com goes to one of many unfortunately, certificate authorities that are out there, these people that are trusted to do these things. And they say, I need a certificate. And these certificates only last a certain amount of time. They, they have a differing levels of, of how much checking goes into verifying that the, the, the person getting the certificate is who they say they are. But anyway, they go through this long process, get these certificates. And once they have these certificates, they put them on their server. And then when your web browser, either your mobile browser or your computer browser surfs to that website behind the scenes when they're setting up that initial connection, your browser says, Hey, show me your certificate. And so that I know that you really are who you say you are. And then that allows the encryption to be set up. And now your communications are secure and you get the little lock icon. What this article 45 is basically saying is that in the EU, the governments are saying we get to approve some of these certificate authorities, the web browsers must include these certificate authorities as trusted certificate authorities. And oh, by the way, they may be government certificate authorities. And what that means is if the government has control over any of these certificate authorities, these CAs that are being mandated to be trusted, they can then create fake certificates. And therefore, they can insert themselves in the middle of your communications and pretend to be the site you're going to instead of actually being the site you intend to go to, meaning they can insert themselves in the middle of all of these encrypted communications. So how does this work? So if, I, if I'm logging into, let's say I'm going to my doctor's office, or maybe I'm logging into a, a political website. And I want to have private communications with this website. If this government can issue a certificate to a government controlled server and get my browser to go to that server first, instead of the real one, it can pretend to be that other site. And then on the backside to, to make it look real to me, it would actually forward my request onto the actual website. It basically inserts itself as a, it's called man in the middle or a, or now it's sometimes called a malevolent person in the middle where they relay all the communications back and forth so they can see everything, but they have inserted themselves like a wiretap into the middle of that conversation. And this article 45 is basically saying, okay, we here in the EU want to be able to spy on anybody at any time. Now, what they say they want to do with that is they actually want to get in the middle of those encrypted communications so they could provide more security. So when you're going to a website that the government in, in question thinks is a bad website, they can actually insert like a banner at the top of the website saying, Hey, this is the not tr trustworthy website. Be careful what you do here. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> but, but it also means that they can see everything that you're doing on the web. So anyway, this is a really big deal. I will try to keep you posted on uh, anything that comes out of this, but uh, it's something you, especially if you're in the EU, but we all need to be aware of this. And, and this is just another attempt to break end to end encryption, which is good for no one.
All right, everybody, now it is time for my annual best and worst gift guide. Uh, I've been doing this every year for the last, I don't know, six or seven years now, right around Thanksgiving usually because we had this notion of Black Friday. And of course, at this point, it's it's like Black November. The, all these quote unquote Black Friday sales are, are spread way beyond just the Friday after Thanksgiving. Many of them started last week. So anyway, it's it's just kind of dumb. It's just more, it's more consumerism. <laughs> But, but anyway, uh, this is the time with the holiday season approaching for a lot of us uh, that we start looking to buy gifts for people. So at this time of year, I always take the opportunity to, to kind of give you my thoughts on how to, you know, if you really want to get something for your loved ones that's not going to undermine their security or their privacy, some things you might want to think about. Unfortunately, the worst actors on this list haven't changed a whole lot. So we're going to kind of go through some of those quickly. If you want to see the full article, of course, you can go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. It'll be the top article there. If you're a newsletter subscriber, you should have gotten this last night in your email inbox. And so there's a lot of details there. There's a lot of other links from, from my article to other relevant articles that you want to check out or to these products, actually. And by the way, these are not affiliate links of any sort. I don't make money off of any of these products. I try to avoid any conflict of interest uh, when I'm making recommendations. So a couple things I want to lead off with, some thoughts I want to start with. And that is, we want to support companies that are doing the right things. They're at least trying to do the right things for both security and for privacy. So this whole thing about should I buy product A or product B for my loved one, that's important for them, sure. But it's also important for all of us. So there's, there's a bigger picture here. The more we spend money on products that get it right, or at least trying to do things right, the more we create a better market for these things in general. We support the companies who are doing the right things, and we tell the companies that aren't, hey, you better get your act together if you want our business and start following these other guys and, and, and protecting people's security and privacy. The other truism for most of these things is that you get what you pay for. And that is try not to get the super cheapest versions of things, the knockoff brands, the, the things you've never heard of. A lot of these brands on Amazon now just look like alphabet soup, like, like literally randomly generated names. And they may even be randomly generated names. And these are just knockoff companies, fly-by-net companies. You do not want to be getting products, no matter how cheap they are, because for, for lots of reasons, first of all, Security costs money and it takes time. And you can bet that these companies that are super cheap are cutting all the corners and may have zero security. Also, a lot of these companies subsidize those super low prices by mining and selling your data. So be particularly worried about anything that's connected to the internet, which today is just about everything. Everything, everything everybody wants to have smart devices, though in a lot of cases, they really shouldn't be. So look for name brands, look for companies with reputations that they want to maintain. And if you're going to bother spending money on a gift, spend the extra money to get the good one. Now, also what you might be thinking of is just because somebody already has a smart device, like a smart TV or a smart speaker or something like that, maybe they've got a crappy one. Maybe they've got one that is mining their data. So maybe what your gift is, is getting them one that replaces that with one that is more secure and more private. And finally, don't discount giving the gift of your time and your effort. Uh, a lot of times what these people need is not just getting the gift, but learning how to set it up or, or learning how to change the privacy settings or change the security settings. Like for instance, having automatic software updates turned on, things like that. And I've got a way for you to do that as well that I will talk about at the end of the show. All right, so some of the worst gifts. And again, these are things that are always on the list. Any of the smart devices, honestly, from Google, Amazon, and Facebook, those, those companies are advertising companies. Those companies make money off of your data and realize that this includes a lot of companies that they have purchased that don't have Google and Amazon and Facebook in their names, which includes Ring, Nest, 
Fitbit, Waze, Blink, Eero, that's E-E-R-O, Roomba, Twitch, and, and and others. These guys buy out a lot of these companies. And a lot of these companies were just fine until they got bought. Um, and now I can't trust them. Facebook just put out their new Ray-Ban Meta Smart Glasses. They're cool. I understand that from a tech standpoint, those are pretty nifty. But from a privacy standpoint, I would be extremely worried. Also a perennial favorite on my naughty list is DNA testing kits from companies like 23andMe and Ancestry.com. Your DNA is you. I, I don't know how you can anonymize DNA data, but a lot of these companies are taking this data and selling it to third parties. Uh, they say they anonymize it, but again, it's your, it's your genes. Your genome is you. And a lot of this data is also being stolen, as we've seen recently with the 23andMe hacks. So I understand the interest. I've, I've done a lot of genealogy in my family. I understand the interest of wanting to find relatives that way. I can even understand the health aspects where you might want to look for congenital problems. I get that. But realize also that your DNA uh, is shared with your blood relatives. So when you're giving up your DNA, you're also giving away DNA of other people as well. If you've already used these services, if, you, if it's not too late, what you can do is you can go to you know, 23andMe and Ancestry or wherever and ask them for a copy of your data so you have it, uh, and then tell them to delete your account and delete your data. And if you're lucky, they haven't already sold it to a third party that they can't get back. Beware of any kind of a tracking or fitness device other than Apple, and I'll, I'll circle back to Apple in a minute, but you know, there's this really horrible child monitoring watch called an angel watch. That's gotten some just horrific reviews. Tile got bought out. Samsung has tracking tags. Both of them apparently are selling stuff to third parties, fitness trackers like Fitbit that was bought out by Amazon. I believe halo is another one that was another product. These things are chock full of sensors, including GPS, and they're all sending their data to the cloud. And a lot of times this data is being sold again, supposedly anonymously to third parties. But it, especially when it comes to location data, it is just not that hard to de-anonymize that data and figure out who, whose data that is. And then finally, a, a semi-new one this year, at least new to my list, is uh, modern cars. Now, of course, I, I, other than in commercials, I don't know anybody who's ever given someone a car for Christmas. But nevertheless, if that is something that maybe you're looking to do uh, with Christmas money or something like that, just understand that modern cars are collecting a ton of information and there's... Right now, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And finally, the other new thing that I brought up recently on the show to be aware of is that uh, when you bring these smart devices in the home, as long as they connect to Wi-Fi in your house, then you still have control to some extent of what they do over the internet. You can actually put in uh, a VPN, you can put in a firewall, you can put in a custom DNS provider and things that will prevent those devices from, you know, tattling on you to some third parties. You can block some of those connections, basically. Of course, you can also just not configure the Wi-Fi, and then they're not on the internet at all, and you keep them dumb. I usually do that with my smart TVs because I don't need the smarts that are in the TV. I just need the TV to show me something. So I never connect my smart TVs to the internet. But what I've seen recently with medical devices and some other high-ticket home items like like Tesla Powerwall uh, or, or some solar, so solar panel providers is they are coming with built-in cellular modems and also prepaid data plans. So basically out of the box, these things are able to connect to the internet without having to ask for your Wi-Fi password, without connecting to your home network, and therefore you cannot control those connections. So be aware that that is happening and maybe just be careful of any device. And I'm right now I'm guessing these are probably more expensive devices 
but I think it's going to get cheap soon to the point where a lot of home IoT devices are going to have cellular modems built in, which will completely bypass your ability to control their connection to the internet. So there are some things to consider, some high-level types of things that you might want to be careful giving or not give at all. Basically, my naughty list for, for gifts in terms of security and privacy. By the way, Consumer Reports has been doing a lot of work on this, and they actually have their own naughty list now. I, there's, a link to, uh, there's a link to that in my article. If, if you really want to dig into particular products, they've got a really, really great list there. It's called Privacy Not Included. Uh, and honestly, they're kind of they're kind of edging in on my turf here, but that that's okay. The more the better. So um, uh, it's a great list. Uh, I highly recommend you look at that. They've got the naughty list out now, and they're going to have the nice list coming up soon. In fact, I'll put a link to their naughty list in the show notes for this week. All right. So what are some of the best gifts? And and some of these have been on the list for many years. So I'm going to go over some of them quickly. But you could get someone a subscription to a password manager. Everybody should be using one. This is uh, something that I recommend you try to get your family to start using uh, still not enough people are using these things we need strong unique passwords for all of our websites and the human brain just cannot do that so we need a password manager i would recommend personally bitwarden uh, but you could also look at one password and at this point i would definitely steer clear of LastPass. so maybe you could get them like a one-year subscription or maybe start a family plan and include them on your family plan if the person on your list is somebody who, who travels a lot with their mobile devices you might want to get them a subscription to a actual privacy respecting VPN service. Not all of them are, even though privacy is right there in their name, virtual private network, a lot of them, especially the cheaper free ones, end up selling your data. What you're really doing when you're using a VPN is you're exchanging your trust or maybe mistrust of your internet service provider, which might be McDonald's or Starbucks or the airport or whatever as well, whoever you're connecting to the internet through, uh, if you don't trust them, uh, you want to get a VPN. And But if you don't trust the VPN, it's just as bad. ProtonVPN is a good choice. IVPN or Mulvad are other good choices. Again, there's copious links in the actual article if you want to drill down and get some uh, some more information. You could help somebody get set up with uh, secure cloud storage. Uh, Dropbox, Google Drive, Microsoft OneDrive, they're all extremely popular. A lot of them are built into your products, uh, but they're not really private. They're probably secure, but they're definitely not private. Uh, I personally prefer Sync.com, S-Y-N-C.com. Though Apple's iCloud has come a long way, especially if you turn on advanced data protection. But if any one of your loved ones is still storing, you know, potentially private data in one of those cloud storage services, uh, I would look at getting them a subscription to something like sync.com. Similarly, uh, I highly recommend Proton's products. They've got uh, email and calendar and contacts, and they've got their own drive solution if you're looking for that. So Proton's another great service that you might want to get them hooked up with. And then finally, I will just say, and I've said it before, I am an Apple fanboy. Apple is not perfect. I will say that right up front. They are not perfect on privacy, but they have come a long way. They've got a huge reputation to protect. They've made a big deal out of trying to be private. And while, again, there are still things I wish they would change, they are way, way better than just about everybody else. So let me just rattle off a couple things like the Apple HomePod or the HomePod mini. If you want a smart speaker for your house, that is a great way to go. Uh, if you want a streaming box that will at least try to protect your privacy, Apple TV is a great little streaming box. And I might get in trouble for this one, but if you lose stuff all the time, Apple AirTags are absolutely amazing at tracking your stuff. Backpack, purse, keys, bike, luggage, even your car. In fact, the New York Police Department was giving out air tags to people in New York because they were having such trouble with car theft. They wanted people to put air tags, hide air tags in their cars so that they could help find their vehicles when they were stolen. 
Now, I know these things can be used for evil purposes. Just about any technology can. Apple has really gone to great lengths to try to prevent them from being used to stalk people. But clever people will still figure out ways to do it, though I think at this point, there are so many other options that don't have these built-in security features like Tile and Samsung and even just straight-up GPS trackers that if I were doing this, I, I honestly would steer clear of AirTags and use something else. Something else I've added to the list this year, a new one uh, as a on the nice list, is the iVerify app. I've been using it for about a month now or maybe more than a month now. Honestly, the, for the one-time $3 charge to get this thing, just the checklist and the automatic notifications for OS updates is, is worth the, the entry fee right there. But if you are, for some reason, if you believe that you are a high-value target for hackers, this can be a really important app for you. Another one is NextDNS. It's a really great way to kind of, uh, on a blanket level, block a lot of crap for everything from your house. You can set this up as the DNS for your home router, and then everything on your home router, everything that's connected to your home network will automatically get the benefit of this. I've been using it for a long time, and it's fantastic. A great stocking stuffer you can get for people is a USB condom or a data blocker is what they often call it. I don't know how common this thing is, but it's just, it's, it's so easy to fix. There's just no reason not to. And that is avoid public USB charging ports. So you, to do that, you need to do one of two things. Either bring your own charger, either like a battery charger or your own wall, AC wall nugget that you can plug in uh, instead of plug into the USB port because USB ports have data lines as well. And it's possible to hack a USB port such that when you plug something into that USB port, you can attempt to hack the device that's plugged into it. So the other thing is this USB condom thing, which is a data blocker, which if you're, if you ever looked at the end of a USB plug, there's four little wires in there. Two of those are, are for data and two of those are for power. What most of these things do is they just actually cut those data lines completely. So there is no data path. There is no communications uh, with your device over this USB port. It's purely five volt power. Now that might mean your device will charge slower because sometimes those data lines are used to negotiate faster charging, but at least it's protected. Another little fun stocking stuffer can be a webcam cover, though honestly, for most people, all you really need just is just a post-it note. You can also get people privacy screens if you're on your phone a lot and you're worried that you know, in crowded spaces or people might be looking over your shoulder to try to get your pin codes or, or look at your private data. You can, for your mobile phone and for your laptop, you can get privacy screens that look clear, but when you viewed at an angle, it cuts off all the view. Like, and I think the way most of these work is they're polarized uh, so that when you look at them off angle, it goes black. So I've got a couple options you might want to look at in my list there as well. You can also look at maybe getting a Faraday pouch. Now, what is, what is a Faraday pouch? Faraday was a scientist in the electrical realm uh, many, many years ago. But what he basically figured out is if you want to block radio frequency signals, and so many of our things today with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and cellular have, you know, emanate and receive radio frequencies. There are some cases where you want to not allow that. For example, your passport, and modern, most modern passports have a built-in RFID that can be read at a distance and potentially copied a distance. Same thing with uh, a lot of modern credit and debit cards. And here's actually a big one. And one of the reasons you might want to get uh, a Faraday pouch or a Faraday box uh, is for key fobs, because wireless entry into a vehicle a lot of times can be abused by hackers. Uh, if, let, let's say you walk in the front of your house and you throw your keys in a, in, a, in a jar or on a little plate or something right next to your front door. 
Um, if you've got a really nice car sitting in, in the driveway and the bad guys know that, with the right kinds of radio repeater equipment, they can basically trick your car into believing that you're standing right next to it with a key fob to not only open the door, but in a lot of cases actually start your vehicle and drive away with it. So one way you could fix this is, well, first, not put your key fob right next to your door. Uh, but also, if, if instead of a little plate or something right next to your front door, if you have one of these Faraday boxes, uh, you could throw your key fob in there and close the door, and that would make it much, much, much harder for somebody to try to trick or coerce that fob into uh, telling your car that it's time to open the door and start up. And then finally, of course, I can't finish my list without plugging Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, the book. The fifth edition is is freaking amazing. I'm so proud of this book. It's like almost 600 pages long. It has over 200 tips in it, complete with step-by-step instructions and pictures. I mean, I, I crammed so much information into this book. And yet, I believe it is still very easy to read and even entertaining to read. So that could be a great holiday gift for somebody. And then finally, for the person who has everything, if you really dig the Firewalls Don't Stop Dragon brand, uh, I've got some great merch uh, that you can get at the swag shop. And if you go to fdsd.me slash merch, M-E-R-C-H, you'll see that I've actually added some new things to the list, including a Santa hat. They've got stockings. There's an ornament all sorts of stuff. And if, honestly, if you go there and you're like, huh, I wanted this very specific thing and, and, and Carrie doesn't have it there. Let me know. Cause there's, there's like a gazillion products and I just get to choose which ones I want to be able to put the logo on. And I don't check them all. <laughs> so, cause it, it'd be overwhelming. It's already a little overwhelming. There's just, there's a lot of products there. So anyway, if there's something that you would like to put my logo on and you know, then buy it for yourself or someone else, <laughs> let me know and I'll see if it's available and I'll, and I'll put that on the show, on the merch shop. All right, but there is one more thing that I really want to make sure you're aware of. And I started this last year. I personally think it's really cool. And that is giving someone the gift of your time and your effort. And so if you are the person in the family who is the security person or the IT person or the one that everybody comes to with technical questions, you're probably also the one that they would go to for help with setting up like a password manager or finding a more private browser or setting up a VPN or things like that. And so what I'm encouraging, what I'm actually begging you to do is to give your time to those people to help them become more secure and more private. And a nice little formal way to do that is to give them a coupon. Like remember the old love coupons you used to give to your parents, like when you didn't have enough money to buy them a real gift. So, you know, I'll be good for a day or I'll do one of your chores for a day or I'll get you a beer on Sunday, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it was for your family, whatever those love gifts were. You would, you know, write up these little coupons, or maybe you used to do this for your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend or whatever. Well, these are the same kind of things, except these are for the gift of security and privacy. So I've already got a whole bunch of them pre-printed and uh, you can download a PDF with, with a bunch of these coupons in it. And every page has a, has a dedicated coupon with a little blank for filling it out who you want to give it to, for example, like for setting up a password manager. And then I've got a little checklist below that for like, here's what I think you need to do to accomplish this for somebody, or at least the things you should consider doing uh, along with links to help for information. So check that out. If you go to fdsd.me slash coupons, you'll find the article that talks about that. If you want to just go straight to the coupons, just scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a big button there. You can download the PDF and take a look and you can print the ones you want, give them to the people you'd like, put them in the stocking, whatever you want to do with them. I guarantee you they will be much appreciated. 
Now, you might be thinking, boy, I wish somebody would give me one of those coupons. And you could do it that way too. Uh, download the coupons and say, hey, this is something that's on my wish list. This is something I would love for one of you guys to get me for the holidays. Or honestly, anytime. I bring them up during the holidays because it's a common gift-giving time, but this could happen any time of the year. So check that out. Again, it's fdsd.me slash coupons. All right, there you go. There's your news and your big tip of the week, my best and worst gift guide for 2023. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, as I said, is I want to talk about giving thanks. Uh, this is the time for Thanksgiving in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Canada already had theirs, but <laughs> we, we celebrate Thanksgiving. So I'm thinking about it now because we're about to celebrate it this week here in the U.S. And that is to give thanks and donate to organizations that are doing great work on your behalf. One of my favorites, of course, is the Electronic Frontier Foundation, but you know there are many, many others. The Center for Democracy and Technology, EPIC, ACLU. There are several, and, and I've actually got an article that lists many that I think you could consider. Uh, this is a great time of year to do that. So if you go to fdsd.me slash thanks, it'll take you right to that article. This is a great time of year to give back to some of these organizations who are doing a lot to help keep us secure and private. By the way, I talked about the Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons merch. I forgot to mention there is a sale right now. Uh, I think there's always a sale, to be honest. It just varies. Right now, I think it's 20% off of everything. Uh, but Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, which should be this coming Friday, uh, I think everything is 30% off. So again, check that out. See if there's anything you like. And now would be a great time to get some savings on it as well. Coming up, I'm going to be doing a promotion in December. Stay tuned for details. I'm still kind of working on that, but I will be doing that probably for new patrons, but uh, may have some other giveaways as well. We've got some great interviews coming on the pike. Uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Eleni Manis from Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, or STOP. Uh, we're going to be talking about smart cities and a lot of the privacy problems with that. Soon after that, we'll be talking with Ben Adida from Voting Works about election security. That's going to be a huge topic for next year something that we want to learn about sooner rather than later. And then toward the end of the year, I've got some of my famous best of shows. We're going to be doing some recaps from this year. I'm actually also going to be doing a new best of episode that includes stuff from my patron only podcast. So some of you who are not patrons will get a little taste of some of the things that I've been talking about saying coming up this Thursday will be your patron only podcast. I'm going to give you uh, some samples of some of the best of the best of that as well. So stay tuned. A lot of fun stuff coming down the pike throughout the end of this year. All right, everybody, that will wrap it up for this week. Until next week, stay safe out there. And as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.